God speaks to us this afternoon from Romans 14. And let's hear this word that the Spirit has given to the churches. Romans 14, page 1127. Over quarreling, over opinions in the church. It starts at 14, verse 1, and runs through 15, verse 8. And I want to, with God's help, deal with it in two sections. First of all, dealing with the call not to quarrel, and then secondly, practical insights in how to work together when there are differences. So, first of all, the call then not to quarrel, and then, Lord willing, next Sunday, the call to learn how to handle our differences in a gospel manner. Notice if you look back to Romans 13, verse 13, a call to walk in love, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, and then this one, not in quarreling and jealousy, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now he takes up that issue, issue of quarreling in the church. Romans 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 18 as our text. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And then we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And he continues with that issue. But 1 through 18 this afternoon, Lord willing, this is the word of the Lord. And may he instruct us, bless us, and build us by it. Let's have an open heart to God's word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, up until now, Paul has allowed the gospel balloon to float beautifully above the churches of Rome and they get to look up at the sky and see the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ who through his death and resurrection has rescued Jews and Gentiles through faith and united them into one body. Amazing. But now that gospel balloon, which has been floating gracefully in the sky, comes and settles down in the camp, touches down on life in the Roman congregation in a very specific way, addressing their issues, and addressing it in line with chapters 1 through 13 in a gospel way. It's beautiful. And it's right here in the, in the middle of this application to divisions, conflicts, disagreements over opinions that we find really the nucleus, nucleus of our question and answer one. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I'm not my own but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ? We got that from Romans 14, 7 through 9. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It's the gospel, the beautiful gospel of salvation through faith alone in Christ alone that settles down to answer the, the issues in the Roman church. That's the beauty of the gospel. So here's a church community divided over strongly held personal religious opinions. Now how can that be? How can they be divided since they're united in Christ who died and rose for them? Here's the reason. They have allowed their personal opinions to rise to the level of hiding from view the bigger things that unite them. And this is a historic problem in the church, isn't it? To allow matters of personal opinion 
to become so strongly held and so absolutized that they rise to the level of hiding from view the bigger things that unite us. That's what's been going on. So Paul, an apostle and slave of Christ, finds the solution. And he doesn't put the two sides in a room and says, now you hammer this out until you come to agreement. And when you come to agreement, then you can come out. He doesn't settle it that way at all. He settles it not by taking away the differences, but by urging them to lower the differences and see the bigger things that hold them together. See the gospel, see Jesus. And isn't that always the case? We have things that divide us. If we would just look up and see what Christ has done for us and focus, focus on the central teachings of Scripture, that will bring us back, bring us back to where we need to be. So here's the title. Don't quarrel over personal opinions, but unite around the central beliefs we all confess, the central beliefs taught in Scripture. First, do not quarrel over opinions. By respecting differing convictions, by, by standing before the one master, got two and three in wrong order here, and seeing, thirdly, the bigger picture. Respecting differing convictions, standing before one master, and seeing the bigger picture. Respecting differing convictions. It was a tense situation in the Roman churches. It's been lurking in the background for the first 13 chapters. The problem of the unity of Jew and Gentile in the church. They're alike in sin. They're alike saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They've been reconciled to become one man through Christ's blood. They've been joined together in one church, but to live together in the same church is another matter. And because of their differing religious and cultural backgrounds, Jew and Greek, they had some differences. And those differences have been made deeper by, remember, Emperor Claudius in Year 48-49, expelling all the Jews from the city of Rome because of the upheaval they're bringing about in that area. So they've been expelled. And for many years, several years, the, it's pretty much only Gentiles in that congregation who, who continue to develop their faith and their worship. And then when Nero comes in, many of the Jews come back, and they come back and they say, well, wh what happened while we were gone? You're not following the, the Jewish rules that we used to keep together. What's going on? And, and so that, that historic event increased the tension in the church. And so it's not surprising that the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in the congregations of Rome did not see eye to eye on everything. And Paul gives us two of the primary issues, food and feast days. 
Look at verses 1 and 2. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person believes or eats only vegetables. And if you look ahead to verse 20, 21, specifically the issue was whether it was acceptable to eat meat and drink wine. The Gentiles hold to what Paul considers a strong faith view. All food is clean in the new covenant. Nothing is unclean in itself. So there's no law against eating any kind of food or drinking any kind of drink. It's only a law against immoderation, gluttony, and drunkenness. But a Christian may eat or drink anything. That was the dominant Gentile view. That's the way what they learned when they learned the gospel. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 4. And Paul even says in this chapter, I agree with that view. The strong faith view of the Gentiles. Verse 14. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. That's his view. But many of the Jewish Christians hold to what Paul calls the weak faith view. No meat, no wine, only vegetables. Some say, well, that just means no pork. According to the Mosaic law. Others say that means no meat at all because they couldn't be sure that it was kosher that at the butcher, when it was being slaughtered, there was proper prayer over it. And so, therefore, we can't trust any meat at all. But that doesn't really answer the wine problem, does it? So maybe what's going on, and again, we're not sure exactly what's going on lurking in the background, but maybe it has to do with Daniel. Remember, Daniel and his three friends refused to eat meat or drink wine. They would eat only vegetables. That was to help them stay strong and alert and not grow worldly in a pagan land. And the Jewish Christians said, in the new covenant, we are exiles. We're living in the midst of paganism. And to stay strong and to stay pure, we have to stay away from that fine, finer dining and live a simple life of just vegetables. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose our identity. We're going to become worldly. And so in order to fight worldliness, you've got to abstain. Anything else is not safe. That was the weak faith view. So there was the food issue, food and drink issue. The second one was feast days, observance of days. One person, verse 5, esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, since the early church met on the first day of the week. It's not likely that the weekly day of rest is at issue. Again, there's the Jewish background of all those feast days that a lot of the Jewish Christians after conversion continue to like to celebrate the new moon festivals, Passover festivals, unleavened bread, feast of Pentecost, feast of tabernacles, which they could do. They were free to do. And to honor it in the name of Jesus Christ who fulfilled it for them. And to keep those days. But the Gentiles said, 
That's not a law for everybody. You may choose to do that, but we consider every day alike. We'll hold the Lord's day, but we consider every other day alike. How could you not want to keep those days, said the Jews? It's like refusing to celebrate Christmas or Good Friday. Isn't that a sure sign of spiritual decline? The Jews would say. And the Gentiles would come back. You're just being legalistic. Why would you want to go back to the prison of the law? And so they argued. And they quarreled. They're absolutizing their own opinions. And they're holding them as essential to being faithful to God. And it's reaching to a point where they would even say, this is a dividing line of fellowship. If you hold to that view, we can't be in the same church. If you hold to that view, we can't be in the same church. What was going on? The strong faith view, the Gentile view, they were despising the Jewish view. Your silly traditions, your legalistic customs. Why do you insist on living such bondage? We're free in Christ. Get out of that. They despised the weak. And the weak judged the strong. You're worldly. You're slipping spiritually. You're falling away. I can't believe how far you've fallen away since we, since we left Rome and now have come back. They judged. The one group despised the other as being less, as being inferior, Christian, not faithful to God. And the other judged the other as being inferior, less of a Christian, unfaithful to God. They agreed on the gospel, but they couldn't agree on the applications to daily living and personal choices. And Paul's method, again, is so wise and and astonishing. Rather than pressing for external conformity, he presses for internal unity. Rather than pressing for external conformity, he presses for internal unity. And it's interesting that Paul, though he himself is convinced of the strong faith position, he says both sides are right. And you can hear the both sides saying, you're just playing both sides. He says both sides are right. As long as you worked it out and are doing it to honor the Lord, you're right, and you're right. You're both right. As long as you're doing it to honor the Lord and to give thanks to him, it's good. You're just not free to impose it on others and make them hold your view. God accepts both. That's really the astounding thing. God accepts both. And Paul's really saying, I don't care what, what position you hold on your, your differing opinions. 
I'm thankful that you worked it through theologically. I'm thankful that you're using this to devote your life to the Lord. Praise God. But I don't really care what position you hold. But you do have to hold on to each other. I don't care what position you hold. But you do have to hold on to each other for the sake of the gospel. Because Christ shed his blood for your brother, your sister. Because God accepts your brother and sister. How dare you not? Wow. Secondly, we stand before one master. We come to the heart of the matter now. After looking at these different convictions, strongly held, disagreeing with each other, that's all fine. But when it comes to matters of a secondary nature, that do not touch clear commands of God and the central teachings of the Christian faith. It's just between you and the Lord. And you have no right to insert yourself into that person's opinion and despise him or insert yourself into that person's opinion and judge him as sinful. That's between him and the Lord. You leave it to the Lord to judge that person. You see, fundamental matters of the faith and of biblical truth are a matter of consensus and agreement. We must hold these truths and beliefs and practices together in common. But when it comes to opinions, personal opinions, it's between us and the Lord. He mentions it first in verse 4. If you look at verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord will be able to make him stand. In other words, the Lord has accepted the one who eats and drinks anything. So why are you judging him as falling? He stands or falls before the Lord. And you're saying, well, he's going to fall away. But the Lord's not going to let him fall away. He's going to make him stand. That's Paul's confidence. You should have the same confidence towards your brother. You're not his master. The Lord Jesus is. And that gets us to that wonderful confession of faith. In 7 through 9, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Your life is offered up to the Lord. It's a sacrifice of praise. In all the personal choices you make and you weigh before the Lord, you're living to the Lord when you're living by faith. And the beautiful thing is when you die, you're also giving yourself up to the Lord. My death is for you. I give myself to you for your time to take me home to heaven. If we die, we die to the Lord. It's a beautiful statement. How did we get to that spot? The Lord Jesus died and rose for us. And when he purchased us with his blood, he made us his servants and he himself became our Lord and master. And now we owe our life to him. And all our choices, we are his. 
So when that person decides to abstain for the Lord's sake, you say, praise the Lord. I, I don't agree with you. I see lots of holes in your position. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether I agree with you. You are the Lord's. And you stand before him. And I leave it between you two happily because the Lord is good. And the Lord will help you stand. And you choose to eat and drink. You choose not to keep those days. I disagree with you. I'm worried about where where that could go. But the Lord will help you stand. You are the Lord's. The Lord is good. He'll take care of you. We live to the Lord. We die to the Lord. Praise the Lord. So each, verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So don't judge the ones you think are taking too many freedoms. And don't despise the ones who you think aren't exercising enough freedom. It's really very simple. It really is very simple. Now, Paul does say in other places when it comes to sin, then you must pass judgment on a brother or sister to help that fellow member return to a life and doctrine that pleases the Lord and to keep their church pure. 1 Corinthians 5, very clear. When it comes to sin, we must pass judgment on a brother or sister to help that fellow member return to a life and doctrine that pleases the Lord and to keep the church pure. But when it comes to strongly held convictions about personal opinions, life applications, no. We must not try to stand between that brother and the Lord Jesus Christ. People of God, this perspective is vital in the body of Christ. This person is doing this for the Lord's sake as an act of devotion and thanksgiving and love and honor and a desire to obey him. And we must respect and honor that. Even if you disagree with it, who really cares? And there's a place to discuss it and even argue, but never to despise or judge or break fellowship. You might not understand or accept his reasoning, but that doesn't matter. Choose. Choose not to become angry with him or her, not to break fellowship with him or her, not to refuse to worship with him or her. But instead, choose to commit his soul and well-being to the Lord in faith. In the faith that the Lord loves him, purchased him with his blood, lives in him, and will help him stand. Each one stands before the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, Paul wants us to see the bigger picture. In that last section of the passage, 13 through 18, Paul really has two main things that he puts before the people of God who are quarreling over opinions. Number one, how we should live together in our disagreement. How we should live together in our disagreement. And his first answer is, don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother and cause him to fall. 
Better to sacrifice your liberty than your brother. And the second thing of how we should live together in our disagreement, in the way you hold fast to your opinion, seek always to build up the body of Christ, to build up your brothers and sisters, and not to break up the body of Christ. Those are the things we hope to look at more next week as Paul carries on with that subject in the rest of 14 and the beginning of 15. How we should live together in our disagreement. The second thing is the main focus here, how we must view the bigger picture of the kingdom. That the church and kingdom of Christ is more than food and feast days. Much higher. Don't let your personal opinions on those matters rise to the level where it begins to hide the bigger picture. How we must view the bigger picture of the kingdom of Christ. There's really three aspects to this bigger picture that we must always keep in mind to help us deal sensitively, respectfully, and lovingly with people whose opinions differ from ours. Three aspects to seeing the bigger picture. One is found in verse 15. One is found in verse 16. And one and found in verse 17. Let's look at those three. Three aspects to seeing the bigger picture that will help us chill a bit when it comes to our opinions and exalt the more important things. Verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Here's the key. The blood of Christ is far more important than my opinion or your opinion. The blood of Christ is far more important than your opinion or mine. The church Jesus bought with his precious blood It's far more important than your well-studied, strongly held opinion. And these might be strong faith, weak faith differences in the body of Christ, but not all differences are a matter of strong faith, weak faith. They can just be sort of equally held opinions on a variety of matters. But remember, the blood of Christ is far more valuable than your opinion. Keep your opinion down here, your strongly held, well-studied personal opinion, and you've got all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. You know exactly what your point of view is and why that person should hold it too. But keep your opinion here and the blood of Jesus here. Now, how that's to work itself out, we hope to see in the rest of the passage later. Second aspect of the bigger picture that we have to keep in view, verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So this 
opinion you have about what's good when it comes to food and drink or what's good when it comes to feast days. Eating meat or not eating meat, drinking wine or not drinking wine, keeping the feast days or not keeping the feast days, which you regard as good, if you start using that as a two-by-four to hit people with and start wars, your view will start being regarded as evil. (laughs) So don't use your opinions in such a way as to go to war against your brother. And then the good thing you hold becomes a poor witness because you're using it to hurt people and to destroy the church and insult the blood of Christ, the gospel. So that's the second bigger picture to keep in mind. Don't let the thing you regard as good start becoming an instrument of doing evil. So exalt the blood of Christ. Don't let the thing you regard as good, in your opinion, be used as an instrument of evil. And then verse 17 is really the key, the third thing. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is not really about what you put in your tummy or don't. Kind of obvious. So Paul's saying, if the kingdom for you really becomes about doing this thing or not doing that thing, I'll probably bring it a little closer to home, following this mandate or not, and the kingdom becomes sort of about that, It's become too small, hasn't it? And suddenly, it becomes about our own secondary opinions and convictions. When actually the kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, those three things mentioned in Romans 5, having been justified or declared righteous by faith, Become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ so that his righteousness is credited to you, the sinner, by faith alone so that you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore you rejoice in God through the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Keep that in focus. And then all the rest will find its proper place. And when we keep these things central, brothers and sisters, that will help us not to become petty and not to make too big of a deal of smaller matters but to keep them in their proper place for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his blood, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your brother and sister, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the kingdom. As Sinclair Ferguson says, 
Don't try to put your brother or sister in their place. Just welcome them. Don't try to make them conform to your opinions. Just accept them. Don't try to condemn them for what you believe is wrong. Just love them. And here's our calling. I need to drag to the cross any sense of despising or judging my brother and sister. I need to drag that to the cross, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and let it die there. And that's the key. May God give us his Holy Spirit and much love to be able to love one another in the midst of opinions. And we've all got them to help us deal sensitively, respectfully, and lovingly with one another for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for getting down to basics with us, to practical applications as well. We thank you for bringing before us the example of what was going on in the Roman church, what, how useful this is for the church throughout the ages. Help us, Lord, to take this and apply this in our own setting to our own lives and to be able to see the bigger picture, see the glorious gospel, exalt the blood of Christ, and to love and serve one another for his sake. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.